Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my improv partner, Ben Bumhopper. How you doing, Ben? Okay, um, give me an occupation and a place. Doctor and sports ball arena. Okay, so a doctor walks into a sports ball arena and says, Hey, what do I have to do to get a drink around here? Okay, I didn't the, drink was- vendor, the drink vendor looks over and goes, It's nine o'clock on a Sunday. What are you doing here? I'm lost and drunk. Yeah, I'm not good at improv sometimes. Especially when it's stuff like that, and I'd have nowhere else to go after I threw out stuff. I yeah. It's a, it a very short story. Yes. He went home and uh, slept it off. Yeah, I'm, I'm much better at improv when I'm actually DMing, or there's more of an intent and prep to it. <laughs> what, not like an intro to a, an episode of a, of a podcast? Yeah, something like that. But uh, anyways, oh, hi, Ryan. How are you doing? That was our cheesiest <laughs> intro ever. Oh. I am. I am doing well. I am doing well. Uh, <laughs> Are you kidding? Of, That's one of the best we've had. It's so holy. It's you could call it Swiss. Oh yeah, it's cheesy. That's for sure. No, uh, oh, I'm. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, lots. Lots of fun stuff to talk about today. Um, especially. Especially. Uh, we. We. Ended up just chatting uh, quite a bit before the episode about some of. Uh, stuff from our games uh some of the stuff that we actually can't talk about on on the on the episode but i'm looking forward to kind of uh doing the recaps of those because man just two absolutely <laughs> wild sessions from from both my campaigns um in some ways uh it fits in a little bit to to some of the stuff we're going to talk about today too which yeah. a lot of times a lot of the topics that we do kind of end up stemming from stuff that happens in our games where we go huh that was interesting we should talk about that yeah so uh players from our campaigns guess what if you hear things that kind of correlate to what have happened that might be why it's it's on purpose yeah totally (laughs) it's on purpose. i mean really the only reason we run games is that we have topics for the show yeah that's right yeah exactly (laughs) um so I wanted to wanted to start off. Uh, we've had uh, a listener question kind of sitting in the email for a while, um, and it just kind of came in at a weird time because it came in like shortly after uh, the episode before last, and then of course last episode we have had uh, Ajit um, come on, and he was incredible, like one of my one of my absolute favorite interviews that we've so had. So much fun. But of course, we didn't have time to to talk about that. So I wanted to kind of talk about that now and kind of turn it into a little bit larger discussion, too. Uh, so the question was, uh, uh, hey, guys, I've been DMing for two and a half years. And I'm at that time in that time, I've had issues due to magic items, which is sometimes my fault. But the other issue is the artificer. Dun, dun, dun. I always have at least one player who takes it and in doing so really puts uh, just, you know, like just the kibosh on stuff, or at least it feels like it. Right. Um, And that's because artificers make magic items. That's one of their 
deals. And so they wanted to know what our thoughts on this were. Um, because they don't want to just ban the class, which first I would say that's a good instinct. I would, I would not uh, recommend banning a class. Uh, we, we as DMs want to make sure we try and give as much creative freedom to players as possible. Uh, but at the same time, too, I totally get the frustration. Mm -hmm. uh, I have had an artificer before. My very first campaign actually had an artificer. Uh, and there were definitely times where it was just like, where did you get that? <laughs> where, did, where did that come from? Oh, you made it. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, that helps in this situation measurably. Uh, but it's it's one of those things where, especially if they're giving stuff to other people, Mm -hmm. uh, as far as like magic items go, uh, keep in mind that magic, most magic items are still limited by attunement. Everyone's, everyone's got three attunement slots. The artificer at higher levels does get, uh, some extras. If I, if I recall, yes, but yes, they definitely do. For the most part though, everyone that, that somewhat limits magic item powers. Now, if you're giving out a ton of magic items that actually have like, combat efficiency that do not have attunement that's probably where you're going to start running into some potential issues because that can very much inflate the power of the party without your <laughs> your encounters being able to kind of deal with that in a lot of ways so i don't know is so i i hadn't really thought about this before before the email question and it just kind of came in i was like what what did i do um i think one of the best pieces of advice especially if it feels like your artificer is making just like combaty type stuff or or those darn wing boots <laughs> <laughs> um uh you can always give your bad guys uh more ranged weapons that's uh that can um, kind of limit uh, airtime a little bit. But what I normally tried to do was I tried to allow for situations where artificers' utility items would be useful to try and kind of encourage them to create stuff not just for combat, create stuff that could actually be useful in a heist or in a chase or to solve a puzzle or a problem or something like that. Give them reason to make other stuff that isn't just going to be, I up my combat efficiency. Yeah, there, that is definitely something that can help out quite a bit. But I, I I kind of uh, I familiarized myself with the artificer a bit more um, while I was working on, you know, like my section of the notes on this. Now, I have had an artificer in a game of mine and it's, you know, Ryan, you're absolutely right. It is kind of weird when all of a sudden like they show up and they have the ability to just, oh, I have this magic item with me and stuff. So that's where one of the things comes down to, first of all, if they are an artificer and they're, you know, changing around their items and everything. 
since they can do it after a long rest, just, you know, have them tell you what's going on when they're changing things. It's kind of like um, how it's it's not always required, but it's kind of a courtesy if you have a, a, a player who has, you know, a bunch of different magic items, but they're changing attunement from something to something else or like, you know, say they have, uh, you know, a piece of armor and then they can change the resistance from something to something else. You know, it's like giving the DM kind of a, a heads up of what's going on so that they know, you know, kind of the, what's on the, on the playing field and stuff really helps out. And again, it's, it's very much a courtesy as well as, you know, potentially a requirement depending on your group. Now I'm not saying that your group's untrustworthy or anything like that, but you know, it's good to know so that, you know, you have that for planning. Now on top of that, something that you did say in your email is, you know, um, it, what they have it's their natural ability to make magic items and that's true that's kind of the deal behind the artificer so because of that you do have to put a little bit of trust into the idea that it's been play tested it's been uh balanced and you look if you look at it compared to like say a caster it's kind of equivalent because you know if you're looking at a low level artificer they really can't do a whole ton now, even if you're, um, you know, looking at their infusions and stuff, like a lot of them aren't, uh, you know, super duper great until like sixth level. Um, and even if you're looking at the replicable items, you're looking at things that don't require attunement and, you know, things that are just like goggles of night or a rope of climbing or, you know, a wand of magic detection, you know, think like things like that, which that's more utility. Once you get to level six, that's when you get, you know, more utility type things. Once you get to 10, that's when a lot of the things that they make are actually, you know, require attunement. So you're limited in that sense as well, because you'll have an attuned item as well as the infusion that's making that attuned item. So you're still kind of limiting what it is just naturally in the character itself. But when it comes to combat stuff, the way I look at it is this. Is a plus one to a weapon really going to break your game design? It's it's nice to have. Um, at some point by, I would say, level five or six, you're probably going to want a lot of your characters to have magical weapons anyway. So just a plus one earlier than that, it's not going to be game breaking. You know, if they have a plus one to their armor, again, same deal. It's just a little bit more on top of that. In fact, um uh, they, they're not even able to do the replicable item until level 10 for a cloak of protection. So at that point, if you're in like definitely a high magic item kind of concept of a game, you're going to be running into things like that most likely beforehand. But, you know, if not, you have the ability to make the artificer special and limit magical items in the world or, you know, kind of, give them more of an equal opportunity based on what you give the other players as well. So, I mean, the way I look at it is, is it really shouldn't be all that bad. Yeah. And if you need to as well, if you find that the artificer specifically is causing issues with combat, uh, you can always beef up your combat a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's just something you'll have to kind of test and do over time. But at the same time, too, we got to remember that the artificer is basically a half caster mm -hmm. and has the bonuses and the drawbacks that come with that because they will never get super high level spell slots, even 
at higher levels. You're like for quite a while, they're stuck with level one and two stuff, which greatly limits what they can do from a spell perspective versus a sorcerer or a, a wizard that are going to be scaling or, or even a cleric or a druid. They're going to be scaling a lot faster as far as the magic they can do. So in a lot of ways, they need these magical items to keep up mm-hmm. or exactly. to be able to, to, to kind of keep up with, with what they're doing. It's definitely, you feel it a little more in the lower levels, but I feel like once you start getting like, like Ben was saying into the ones you make that require attunement and stuff, it starts to even out a lot more. Uh, there is super cool for sure that you can make a lot of these things that you might normally not get access to early on. But like I said, I think one of the coolest things DMS can do is give players the ability to shine with their character in situations that only their character can do. Mm -hmm. Like for example, if you have a monk, throw some things against them that have projectiles every once in a while. Because one of the coolest things monks can do is catch projectiles and throw them back. Like that's just flipping awesome. But if you never throw anything at them that does range projectiles, they're, they're missing out on a part of their class and potentially some really cool moments because moments like that doing the things that only those classes can do are the things that people talk about. Those are the things that you remember. It's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you were so low health and you caught that arrow and threw it back and killed, killed the goblin that that was about to kill us. And like, you know, just, just stuff like that can be, can be really neat. And so I, I love Ben's idea of kind of keeping the artificer honest and they, I, Hey, if you're switching magic items, just let me know. Just let me know. So I know what you're working with. Um, so, so I'm not just like constantly surprised or constantly on the back foot, not so I can necessarily try and thwart you, but so that I can adjust things or give you cool scenarios to use those items in. Yeah, and just as a, a heads up, uh, I mean, looking at the chart here, they're only able to have two items infused through level five, and then they get one more through level nine. At 10, they're able to have four infused items. So what, by the time you get to level 10, again, you're looking at a lot more magic items in theory thrown at them, whether it be, you know, loot, something they got at the store, you know, whatever it is. So it is still pretty limiting. And the number of infusions that they know is, you know, kind of limited as well. So um, at level nine, they know six infusions, but can only have three running at a time. It, again, it's still, you know, checks and balances based on what they know, what they can have. And again, what they're limited to just with um, attunement. That's the word with attunement. Yep. Yep. And I think uh, this kind of shifts the conversation a little bit into magic items in general. Um, You can definitely get into situations where you overdo it Mm -hmm. on magic items. Hi, my name's Ben. I know I've totally (laughs) overdone it. (laughs) Um, But again, you have that three attunement fallback 
that you can use. Um, if you if your players don't feel like they're getting enough stuff, um, like personally, I am terrible because I like to customize most of the magic items I give my players. <clears throat> because it's just like, I want this to be useful for you. I don't want to roll on some random table and you get something you're just going to throw in your bag of holding and never think about or use use again. Um, but at the same time, it's fun to balance the combat stuff with the non-combat stuff. Because if you're looking to give out more stuff, utility items... Yeah, there's a lot of really fun, cool, magical utility items that you can throw out there. Um, one that my players have, again, I like giving magic items, and it's it's a bad habit I have. Because, you know, I figure they're doing cool stuff, they should get cool stuff. But, like, you know, there's a magic item that's in my party right now that they'll probably never use. That's a walking stick that turns into a fishing pole. Magically, it's a magic item. I've never really given them need to fish because the, the cleric always summons food and water. So it's like, it doesn't matter, but you know what? They have it. It's something that they can trade or sell. Hint, hint everybody in my group. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, like the, there's a lot of different stuff that they can do with these things, even if it's something that they don't use. And if, again, if you throw a tune items at them, you're giving them, you know, potentially situational things as well. I mean, I know that's, it's really nice to get, okay, I've got my three tuned items. I'm good. I don't need anything else going forward. But instead of maybe spider climbing boots, if you're going into, you know, a flooded area, maybe you really want a ring of water breathing instead or something like that. I don't know if it has attunement. I'm just, you know, throwing something out there. Um, you know, different weapons with different benefits or something could mean, you know, the, the difference between if I'm successful in this combat or not based on, you know, what they're going up against, um, you know, like a, a dragon slaying sword versus a flame, uh, what flame wreath weapon or something like that. You know, it, it, it all varies. So giving them options to, you know, what to use is also a benefit of more magic. Yeah. And then, one of one of the best things too, and this all depends on your world. Yeah, and, that's true. That that's actually a very big part of it. This all depends on your world, but let let's just assume like magic items are normal, and but they have the rarities. Like common ones are fairly common, and then they go on and so forth. Um, but once you get to your mid tier, your high single digits your low double digits, your players probably will have a decent amount of money. It's not necessarily a bad thing to provide a way for them to get what they want. Right? Like, like I have a giant capital city and I pretty much said like rare, especially rare items and below. If you want it, you can probably find it. And so that then gives the players go, okay, what official stuff would be really cool for my character? Like what would really help my character out a lot? And so that's, that's part of the, you know, the give and take I, as a DM, I'd like, I want you to have really cool stuff. And sometimes I'd make really cool stuff. That's kind of specific to your character 
and give it to you. And that makes me all happy and bubbly inside. And hopefully that makes them happy and bubbly. But at the same time too, it's just like you got all this money. I want to make sure I provide a way for you to be able to get what you want within, within some reason. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like I said, especially once you're high single digits, low double digits, you're kind of a big deal <laughs> from from a party perspective. You've probably been on several adventures. You probably have a decent bit of money. So make sure you give them somewhere to spend it. Yeah. And I mean, everybody needs a gold sink in their game. Because otherwise, what are your adventurers doing stuff for? I mean, if they have a higher purpose, then you don't really need to worry too much. But there's a lot of adventurers out there who are in it for the money. Give them something to spend it on. Yep. Yep. Or, you know, do what I do. Have a a magic shop that's run by an awakened German shepherd. Best magic shop owner. Herman is awesome. Mm, Everyone everyone should have a Herman. Yeah, definitely. Magic shop owner. Definitely. (laughs) <laughs> all right all right uh i know uh, i digress a little bit uh we hadn't talked about magic items in a while but i, I think that uh, it was a very good question to ask because totally get the frustration that something like that can potentially cause especially if you're not prepared to to deal with it or <laughs> a lot of times your players will outsmart you <laughs> <laughs> there is because that too. There are a lot of them that you're having to keep track of, and there's only one you. And so sometimes they pull something out of their butt. It's just like, I don't remember you having that. Or where did you get that? And with an artificer, it's sometimes both of those questions. <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah, not no, it, wrong. Yep. So yeah, there's there there are definitely ways to deal with it though. Um to make sure that you as a DM uh don't have your brain broken and the player can be creative and have a lot of fun as well with their character. Exactly. All you, right. You know, speaking of having fun with their characters. Ooh, yes. Um, is this a segue? This is a segue and it's so much less of a, of a segue if you point it out, but that's okay. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Anyways, we are moving to the discussion forward. Um, <laughs> so, One of the fun things about being, you know, a player character in Dungeons and Dragons is going through kind of figuring out what's going on, defeating the bad guys and all that stuff. Now, I will admit I gave way too much time in between uh, when my players were getting to somewhere to this end goal of a trade summit that they're going to. I'm like, okay, guys, it's going to be two months before this happens. And then, you know, I figured travel time and all that stuff and. Well, it went a lot faster than I thought it would be. And then they ended up getting to town. Then there's like a month to kill. So I'm like, okay, cool. Let's throw some side quests and stuff. All the while, I've been peppering in little bits of information, you know, um, kind of um, clues as to kind of what's going on in the town. You know, something that's going on with the conspiracy, who bad guys are, things like that. And we've been doing this for a long time. It's been quite a while since I got to town and and have been learning all these things. So as they've been kind of getting closer and closer to this trade summit where this big thing's supposed to be happening, um, some of those little details and stuff have probably gotten lost in the wind. And this is where you as a DM 
are able to, you know, really kind of refocus, help them along and not give them all the answers, but kind of give a helping hand here and there. So when, you know, we're getting close to this and, you know, I, I would keep saying on the show, it's like, okay, they have almost all the pieces of this is what's going on. You know, I would kind of think about it. It's like, it's been months in real world time, even though it's only been like maybe a week in game. And in that amount of time, while I'm the DM and I know everything that's going on and all these different clues and stuff that's been happening, they don't have that same type of retention because, you know, they're experiencing it in little chunks here and there. Whereas I'm thinking about it constantly trying to, you know, weave my, my plan and plot through and all this stuff. So and not all players are note takers. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is you don't want to hinder someone for either not taking notes or not taking the best notes, because even as a DM, I don't take the best notes of my sessions. So what I ended up doing is I'm, I'm just like, okay, I created a, a, just a document with all the different bits of information that I know that I've given that I think are important to what's going on, you know, different clues and things that they've uncovered along the way. And I said, I shared it with them, said, here you go. And then, you know, since then I've kind of added to it and it's given them all the different pieces. And from there, everybody kind of wins because you don't want to make your, your, you know, story or summary or massive, you know, bad guy plan or something just like so elusive that they won't figure it out because that's just no fun. You know, it's, it's like scream Two at the end of the movie, all of a sudden you find out who the killers are and you're like, what? That's not fun. But you look at like, say signs and you, you go back and it's a big surprise but if you saw the different, you know, like clues and things along the way and figured it out, it's that much more fun and that much more exciting. And you want to be able to give that sort of opportunity to your players by giving them all the things and reminding them all the things that have happened up to this point. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an absolute brilliant way to think about it. It's again, DMs are not advers- or should not should not be adversarial. Mm hmm. We should be rooting for our players. Remember, we are telling a collective story. It's the DM story and the player's story. It's all of you working in concert to tell this really cool story and play it out. Uh, So if you can enhance the story by reminding your group of specific events or specific key details or something that may have happened a while ago that might be important, then that's not a bad thing. In fact, a lot of times, especially if it's important, I won't, I wouldn't even have them roll for it. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of those big things is, um, you know, when you're kind of going around and you want them to figure something out or, you know, they're going to stumble upon something. Why would you ever have them do an investigation check? If, you want them to find this information. You know, you don't want to hide the the bad guy's plan so deep in a bookcase that if, you know, they don't roll a 20, they're not going to find it because that's you breaking the information. That's you breaking the story. You know, like Ryan said, you're working at this together. And while you have an idea of what's going on, the players can affect that greatly. 
And by giving them bits of information here or there, they might stumble upon something else that's, you know, you weren't even planning on or, or thinking that they would even notice. And then they're connecting dots that, you know, one can either help actually enhance your story or two, you know, just make them come to that conclusion faster. And it's, it's just great once everybody has all that information in front of them. And if you do want to have roles for information, make sure you leave yourself room for something called failing forward. Mm-hmm. And that's basically where you have contingencies. If they don't find this piece of information or they don't find this secret room or they don't find this item, then something else will allow them to reach or get to the same conclusion. Exactly. Which can be a lot of fun. It can be a lot of fun to have multiple ways for something to happen and not just have the single linear way. But if you're going to do that, make sure you have those in place. Otherwise, you get in the situation where they they miss the roll or they don't get it. And then you're either like, well, you got a five. So the bad guy has all of his information laid out in this journal that you just happen to to kick up with your foot. <laughs> and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Cause then it's just like, why did you make me roll in the first place? I rolled a five. Um, yeah. The journal just happens to be in the middle of the room on the floor with a sign next to it saying secret journal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of those things you need to think about beforehand and then decide, is this something that can, is able to be failed forward or is this something that is key that the party will need and bring it about another way other than a check, like an NPC or an event that happens uh, like, oh, the, the floor collapses in and this, you know, this giant safe falls down uh, because some NPC was trying to move it or or break into it. And the floor was weak and it gave in. Yeah. That happens all and the so, time in old, in, you know, old timey towns. Oh, 100%. So there's, there's always other ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, one big example uh, that just happened uh, this last session for one of my campaigns that I thought was, would go perfectly when you talked about this being a topic for the show was I, I've got a party that's in the Shadowfell. Um, I didn't, I want the Shadowfell, I wanted it to be unique. I didn't want it to feel like the material plane. I yeah. wanted it to feel alien um, and oppressive and, you know, gloomy and really uh, exhibit that. So uh, with the help of the internet and my own brain, I came up with the this uh, system called uh, Despair. There's like this despair table and uh, at certain intervals during the day in the shadow fell, you have to roll a wisdom save. And if you fail it, you can get something. You, you basically roll a D 20 and you get a trait from the despair table that has some minor thing. And then there's a potential for that trait to get updated, upgraded to a major despair trait uh and have something be worse and there are there are ways to to fix it and and stuff like that but one of the things i laid out for my players 
was when they got to the Shadowfell, I was like, hey, everybody. So there's this thing called despair, a despair table. And I gave them just like a high level overview of it. I didn't go down the list and tell them what all the effects were or anything, because let's find those out for funsies when they happen. (laughs) But I gave my players a heads up that this is going to be something you're going to have to deal with. So just know ahead of time that this is a mechanic. And so that helps prepare them so that then I can, whenever, whenever something happens or, or whenever they fail that save or whatever out of the blue, they, they kind of know what they're getting into Mm -hmm. and they can be ready to accentuate it with RP or I won't have to go ahead and explain it each time for the specific thing. You have the general idea of what it is and what it's going to do. Then I can basically just say, uh, you rolled this and this is the effect. Yeah. It, just, just keep track. It, it's similar to, you know, when you're uh, DMing a group and for the very first time they've come across uh, either layer actions or like legendary resistances or actions or something like that. And, you know, when you give them the information of, okay, at initiative 20, it's going to be the first layer action. This is something that happens with, you know, higher level monsters, you know, one of a couple effects happens, they're going to be happening every round and it will affect the battle or, you know, say this is uh, the dragons using its first of three legendary resistances, you know, you're giving them the information of, okay, this can happen two more times. You know, it's kind of like DM shorthand for, um, you know, this is something that's new. This is an encounter thing that's going to be happening. Be prepared for it. But you know what? I'm, you know, laying the cards on the table here so that everybody knows what's going on so that we can still have a good time with what we're doing. Yeah. And the cool thing about that, too, is if you take the time and share those mechanics above board, then you as a DM can go back into the game and flavor those mechanics a lot more and the people know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying the dragon uses his legend is going to use one of his legendary resistance, you see the dragon scales shimmer and glow lightning bouncing off uh, the blue dragon's spines from tip to tail. And it looks like he was able to completely negate that spell effect and is unaffected. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's one of the, and, and then you see, you know, uh, it looks slightly, slightly weaker or one of the, the three emeralds on its chest burns out or, you know, you can flavor them in a really cool way, but because you discuss the mechanics of it, your players know what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, this goes back to something that we say, I think, almost every single episode, which is communicate with your players. And again, players communicate with their DMs. If there's something that is going on, again, going back to, you know, mystery or, or, or reminding them of things. If there's something that you're not remembering right, ask the DM. You know, just a, a quick, you know, hey, DM, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, um, did you say that the the prince was 
half-blooded or full-blooded you know and of course everybody knows it's the half-blood prince um of course yeah um you know is there a, a jeweler in the city i know we were here before you know like the, there's all this information that you as the dm will always know that the players won't so yeah when, or even oh no go ahead honestly so you know when they ask the questions again if they didn't write it down if they didn't do anything like that freely open up and let them know what's going on totally and and honestly even as a player don't be afraid to say would my character know about this yeah does my character know anybody here um it depends it depends on the game and on the relationship with the players and the dms and and how much leeway you know is given some some dms give free reign to go yeah you you can just i know a guy make up a dude yeah i know a guy yeah uh that can catch some dms off guard a lot and who will not be ready for that uh who cannot just not do stuff like that and that's just fine too but at the same time yeah as a player don't be afraid to go would i know anybody from here or what do i know about this or is this uh did my upbringing will my upbringing allow me to to know something this or get advantage on a roll or whatever and yeah that's i that's that stuff i try and encourage my players to do mm-hmm. all the time cuz i don't think of that or i'm not thinking about that your character in that context constantly whereas you just have the one character to focus on so if it sounds like something might be adjacent to your character's knowledge or character's backstory or whatever, but you, the player don't know, just ask the DM. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That your, your character might know that, or the DM might give you a, a better chance on, on a roll to recall that information. Yeah. In fact, uh, in my party, I've got two very bookish characters. So, you know, when they ask questions like, you know, you know, would I be able to know this or can I do a history check or something like that? Yeah. Well, the bard is very well traveled and very, you know, word of mouth learning as well. So it makes sense for her to be able to kind of roll as well to see if it's something that she might have heard of in her travels or something along those lines. You know, each character has their own strengths and weaknesses in those different aspects. And as a DM calling those out and saying like, hey, you can roll this too. You know, if if you're familiar enough with their character to kind of realize, hey, in their backstory, this might have happened or, um, you know, growing up, you know, they had a teacher who really drilled into them. Uh, I don't know, orc fighting tactics or something. I mean, you, you never know. It's it's just one of those things that's, uh, you know, you, you could throw in there. And even if they're like, say, proficient in history and they roll really low again, depending on kind of their background, a low roll for someone like a, a five for someone might be equivalent to like a 10 for someone else. And you can kind of adjust based on the, the characters themselves, you know, like a, a, you know, Ivy league college person getting a five on something might be the same as drop out of high school, learn on the streets, 10 for someone else. So, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's a, the, just a great topic to bring up because again, we are on the same team with our players. Always. The people we are playing are not necessarily on the same team <laughs> as the players, but you as the DM 
want your players to succeed. You want the story to be told. You want to be able to move things forward. So sometimes allowing for or giving information like this or reminding, don't don't worry about it. Don't feel like it ruins the immersion. We all have lives. We all have like jobs and other stuff that happens. <laughs> sometimes there's a lot that can happen in a week or or two or four between <laughs> sessions, you got to give yourself a little, little grace and a little leeway and do the same for your players. Exactly. So again, give them a helping hand. All right. So, um, before we jump in to, uh, our last little segment, uh, I wanted to do our community content shout outs the first of which is by Dra- Dragna Carta. <laughs> like, I'm just looking at it. I was just like saying this in my head. Um, they have created something called Challenge Ratings 2.0. Uh, it is free and it is their system for building balanced encounters. And... This is actually a super cool document, especially just the, the there's like an advanced formula that's a little confusing, but there's also just kind of a basic formula, too. And this is actually really helpful, especially if you're a DM that thinks they have trouble balancing encounters or hey, your players are I'm like steamrolling. I'm a DM who has trouble balancing encounters. Would this be <laughs> a good thing for me? It might be, Ben. It just might be. Uh, but yeah, if, you're, if your stuff is getting steamrolled all the time or your players are on the edge of death constantly, then maybe something like this uh, would be helpful as it takes a lot more factors into consideration than just the basic CR number equals party of four, which can vary wildly. Very wildly. Um, yeah, usually to the easier side in most cases. Yeah. So we will have a link to that in the show notes at dndiscussions.com if you want to check it out. Yeah, it's a completely free download, too. So definitely just I, it can't hurt to just take a look. And just by looking at it a little bit, it does seem pretty comprehensive. Uh, and it's only just a few pages, too. So it definitely worth taking a look. Yeah, for sure. And then secondly, uh, I wanted to shout out TTRPG Gifts uh, at TTRPG Gifts on Twitter. Uh, he does a ton of different uh, gifts and funny moments from a wide range of actual play shows. Uh, he is currently crowdfunding a set, uh, a brand new set of shows called Radiant Crossroads. It will be an all-POC journey through the Radiant Citadel anthology. 13 adventures, 13 different casts. And I don't know if, if, if you haven't listened to episode 71, go listen to episode 71. It's mm-hmm. on the Radiant Citadel. It's super awesome. And if that doesn't get you hyped for Radiant Citadel, I don't know what will. But uh, I love the idea behind this. Um. And seeing like a bunch of different casts play through the entire anthology in a fairly high production thing, 
Like they they want to it wants to make sure you can you know pay the artist to make overlays and the 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 cast and all that stuff. I think they've got uh, three or four of the thirteen already fully funded, mm-hmm. which yeah. is super awesome. Um, so if that's something that interests you, or if that's something you want to see or want to help support, we will have a link to that on deandiscussions.com in the show notes as well. Yep. As always. All right. Well, Ben, we are, we are there. We have reached the portion of the show where we get to talk about all of the wild things that have happened in our own games. So tell me, Ben, yes. what happened in your last session? Well, where we left off uh, talking about it is there is a very loud horn that happened after our cleric uh, snuck out of a dilapidated temple. Everybody was freaked out and no idea what was going to go on or what was happening in the next session. So we picked it up kind of, uh, you know, a minute or two beforehand, kind of putting everybody in their places where they were. All of a sudden, the big, you know, the, the loud foghorn rang out. And it turns out that the airship from Fairmire had arrived, which put everybody in the castle in just a, a big tizzy because, you know, it's a flying ship. It's the first one that has ever been seen in this world. So everybody was oh going crazy goodness. with it. You sly devil. I know. Leaving them off on a big old sound that probably scared the crap out of them. Oh, it was great. Absolutely great. So, you know, lucky for our cleric, it had nothing to do with the ritual that he, you know, disturbed. Um, so he kind of went out to see what was going on with the airship and, and um, use that as his chance to sneak out of the castle, which was, you know, probably a good idea. Uh, meanwhile, our changeling sorcerer went upstairs and was looking for the headed, like the head advisor's room, which is the advisor to the queen, which he's up to some shady stuff. The queen, who may or may not be his daughter, we don't know, but is technically the half-sister of the sorcerer. Um, yeah, we don't know what's going on with all that. It's interesting stuff. But anyway, so the sorcerer is in, on the second floor, heads over to the advisor's room, talks to a couple guards along the way, you know, gets them to go out and, and take a look at the airship, says you know he'll take over their spot, um, knocks on the advisor's door because... He wants to get in. He wants to, you know, snoop around, see what he can find. Door opens. And it's this horrible person who the, the, the sorcerer has known for years, who he used to work with and smuggled weapons with and everything, except Changeling, so doesn't know that it's him. And he tells him that the airship has arrived. The visor says, great, closes the door. What's an airship? Yeah, there's the, the, the shuffling and stuff. <laughs> Door opens again. Walks out, heads towards the airship and everything, you know, closes the door behind him and all that. Once he's out of view, Sorcerer goes into his office, starts looking around, pilfering, trying to find stuff, or goes into the bedroom, finds out that the blueprints that they had found before are different than what is actually there now. So there used to be a couple doors into the section, like three doors, but now there's only one door going into this room. Then there's an internal door that goes to the to a, a uh, like an office, so he goes in there, starts you know pilfering around the desk, nothing there, searching around, finds a secret compartment underneath a trunk where like the bottom slides open, 
pulls out some some paperwork, finds like basically someone forging letters. They see they see um, you know a bunch of signatures that are, are practiced. There's replicas of wax seals. Finds all this stuff, reads out uh, the letters. Um, one of them being um, apparently from the dwarven contingent of this trade summit. Uh, that's being sent to or the letters being sent to the assassins guild thanking them for killing the king and putting out a hit on the new king there's one from the elven uh leader thanking them for taking out his predecessor and then also just a regular letter going to a name that they've never heard of before and then another one that's Someone's drafted. been killing, killing a lot of people. Yeah. And then uh, another letter that's been drafted that's kind of like a, a progress report of something, but it's incomplete. They don't know what it was actually going to say, but it's written to, again, another name that they hadn't heard from before. So the sorcerer put everything back, closed up the drawer, which I was surprised about. I'm like, oh, you're going to put it back? Okay, cool. Because... They're trying to find didn't information. Didn't take any of the yeah, stuff. Didn't take any of the evidence or anything. Oh. I'm like, okay. Then found a secret passage behind the bookshelf. Went in, found an altar to Tiamat. And then another kind of like, uh, I think like a, a an iron door, like, um, like jail cell kind of. So they can see into a hall behind that. Went through there. Went down a long hall, down another long hall, found a trap door, went down there. And then they're probably underground at that point because they went down pretty far. Another long hall with another like kind of cell door looking thing at the end of the hall. And as they started heading that way to investigate, to find out what's going on, they stepped down on a pressure plate. Immediately jumped back, and ran back up the stairs. But before they closed the trap door behind them, they heard a boom which was an arrow that had been fired. So close the trap door left, left the room, uh, ended up working the rest of the shift. Cause again, they, they had um, kidnapped and knocked out <laughs> the guard who, you know, the sorcerer took the shape of and worked the rest of the shift and then left and then met up with, you know, the rest of the party to tell them everything that happened. So then they're like, okay, you know, trying to figure out kind of what's going on, told them everything that's happening. Like, oh no, is the new king in danger? You know, they're trying to figure out what's going on specifically with that. And then they, they decided, oh, well, let's scry on him. Let's see what happens. So they use the scrying orb that they have. The advisor is kind of doing his thing. And then he goes through the secret passages, goes downstairs, steps forward, sees the arrow in a shield against the wall, swears. And that's where we cut it off. Oh, boy. So someone knows that someone's been there. What this means, we don't know yet. I love that you're throwing out these major Tiamat vibes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, if you have a paladin that worships Bahamut, what's the a really good thing for them gotta to get oppose? the gotta get the antithesis going exactly exactly yeah so yeah i'm i'm really excited for the next session because uh here's the thing um the group has an invite to a lunch tomorrow on the airship with all the heads of the 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 trade summit including the king the queen and the advisor 
because they happened to meet the, the, the artificer gnome engineer who helped create it, as well as the crystal dragon who is actually disguised as a little gnome who th- they both worked together to build this airship. So they, they liked him so much. They got an invite to a lunch. Interesting. Yeah. Lunchtime on an airship. With uh, potentially some assassin who kills really important people. Maybe. I don't know. Because the thing is, when they they uh, um, interrogated a guy that they captured before, they found out that the Assassin's Guild was never talked to about anything. So is the guild actually behind these murders that have happened? Who knows? Oh, some side player. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on in this kind of plot and conspiracy. So, again, I wrote down a lot of clues and a lot of information for my players. I might have gone a little too overboard in my logicking and planning out of everything that's actually going on behind the scenes, but... Ah, we'll we'll figure it out once uh, everything finally comes to bear after the session i'll tell them what stuff meant and everything if they have any questions because you know it's it's fun to reveal your plot that's why that's why villains monologue they're proud of yeah. their plots yeah let your dms monologue they have <laughs> earned that monologue players come on exactly Oh, anyways, yeah, we're playing on on Saturday, and I'm excited. Very exciting. So, I know that's, uh, just looking at your Twitter, some things happened. Some things certainly happened. So, uh, what's going on? I mean, one of my, one of my, I think the, the tweet you're probably referring to is the things could have gone worse, but not much worse tweet. Yep. And that applied to literally both of my sessions. <laughs> That's great. Because we left we left off uh, one of my campaigns on an airship, but a, probably a much more hostile airship than the airship that you are talking about in your world. Um, two of them are captured. Uh, two of them are hiding uh, on the airship. <laughs> the, the on their wrecked airship in the oh, in the okay, cargo okay. hold, and so basically the. The NPCs and uh, two of the players uh, are taken to the cell while the druid and the wizard are left to barely escape the search party that kind of combed over the ship to see if there was anybody else there and then try and devise a plan to get their friends out. Mm -hmm. They met some pretty key NPCs, some very high level, high ranking, uh, this admiral and someone simply known as the Duke. Uh, the Duke is a warforged and uh, wanted to talk with each of their prisoners. Oh, so the artificer went first and it turned out to be torture. Oh. It was just just torture. Paralyzed him. Started, you know, slowly slicing him up. Um, oh, ended up slicing off one of his toes. Like it was. was it, it was. It was. Toe? Yes. Oh, you can't balance without a pinky toe. 
Uh, we 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 cut the tension. I, I think <laughs> our monk our monk was like, "Now you have your own lucky rabbit's foot," because it was uh, <laughs> it was a heron gone. Oh, that's great! <laughs> Love it. So that was that was super funny because we were we're in a very fairly serious situation here. Um, so basically, he gets returned. He's in a lot of pain. He's really really low health. Um, the the druid has disguised self, so he disguises self as one of the guards, and puts on the most ridiculous, like just tough guy, like act without knowing what the <laughs> crap he's doing or where the crap he's going <laughs> or anything. Somehow they manage to bluff their way in. They end up running into the duke and a few guards, bringing the monk to his interrogation room. This was the high tension because it's just like, what's going to happen? And the wizard is just like, screw it. We're going to try and rescue right now instead of going to the cell. That was their first mistake. (laughs) They greatly underestimated this dude. Used it. I mean, it was it, it might have seemed smart at the time. Wizard used this vortex teleport, <clears throat> pulled the monk over to them, and the druid's like, "Well, I guess this is happening." <laughs> so just tidal wave just smashes down, pretty much wrecks the guards. Duke is completely unmoved. Oh, super nonchalant. The one guard that's left standing, he looks over to and he's like, "What are you waiting for? Go get the room ready." Super nonchalant. And I think that's when they kind of realized, especially since they're still down one of their players who's still in the dungeon nursing a a chat with the Duke just from slightly earlier. Yeah. Duke comes over, all his fingers turn into knives, warforged, you know, uh, and just proceeds to wreck them. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's... It was, it was a very humbling experience in a lot of ways. Uh, it was a a very a very rash decision that ended up having big consequences. So he downs them all and then keeps them from dying. Oh yeah, you'd want to. And they wake up. They wake up on the deck with their Herringon friend and one of the. NPCs, uh, NPC and Tanner, he had been with them kind of since the beginning. He is kind of like a little freedom fighter in a lot of ways against this political house. Uh, just knelt down and the Admiral and a bunch of guards and the Duke just standing there. And basically they're were, they were just like we got all the information we needed from him. And then the Admiral proceeds to cut off his head in front of them as it rolls over to them. They're all barely conscious. Three of them have one hit point. And the Admiral goes, get them out of my sight. And they are all pushed off the airship. Oh no. Thousands, thousands of feet up. Because in a high end technic, like high tech arcane thing, this is their version of walking the plank. Yeah. 
that's how they execute people without you know it being super messy the the whole cutting off their friend's head was pretty much a power play of this is how little you matter to us type thing and wow. pushed them all off wow and so they're all falling falling um unbeknownst to the bad guys though the uh with uh if you remember those draconic gifts that were given to them mm-hmm. monk the monk got wings that she can bust out okay so she busted out her wings halfway down and was able to catch the heron gone the wizard waited until the last second and misty stepped because they could he, he couldn't use one of his bigger teleport moves because it required um what is what's the not not the uh, somatic somatic components mm-hmm. and it, all of them are tied up yeah hands and hands and feet are all tied and so he's like misty step only needs somatic or uh verbal and i was like you time it and he misty steps down druid however out of wild shapes. Oh no. No rest has nothing and smashes oh, into the earth. Oh. And takes too much damage. 20, 130, 104. I don't remember. It was so many dice. Um yeah, one is six an for in- 10 feet. <laughs> it was an insta. It was an insta death. And that's where we ended the session off. Oh man! So there's, it it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a doozy, it's gonna yeah. be a doozy of a next session. Gonna wow! Be a doozy of a next session to to see how how that is dealt with. Um, our little herring gun friend has a as a little kind of necromancy book. So <laughs> the player is already just like, I bet he's gonna try and use that. Because none yeah. of them have none of them have revivify, <laughs> none of them none of them have revivify. That it's it's not it doesn't uh, it's just not any classes that have that. So yeah, it will be it will be very interesting. Basically, what could possibly in the book, and what will the cost be? Mm, that what indeed that oh well what indeed he's got a lucky rabbit's foot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was so funny. And then, and then, uh, my other one had ended up in a similar situation. This is the group that's in the Shadowfell. They they just finished off this encounter with this stranger who really liked their uh, clean life essence and emotions, and and tried to take them for himself. Uh, they were able to fight him off, but this is the Shadowfell, and there's all sorts of. I already talked about the despair table and there's all sorts of like environmental hazards and stuff too. Like I said, this is, I want this to feel very different than the, the material plane. Mm-hmm. So I had them roll on the table and an arcane storm came up. Ooh. An arcane storm is something, this huge storm that kind of blows through, but it creates an anti-magic field underneath of it. Because the storm is not a it's not a storm. You see purple lightning arcing in the the dark clouds and such. 
but it is a storm that absorbs arcane power. And so it creates an anti-magic field completely below it. So they're completely cut off from magic. Um, the dome they had just made to rest in gone, gone, gone. Uh, and then lightning begins to strike and lightning is drawn to our spellcasters who have these fourth and fifth level slots that they haven't used. And so when the lightning struck and hit, I had uh, them roll a D 20. And based on that, uh, low being bad, they could, they started getting spell slots sucked out of them. The, the equivalent of yeah. spell energy, their, their spell power oh, that's that they, cool. they have. So that was, that, that ended up being super cool and uh, ended up like working, honestly working the way I was hoping, hoping it would. Um, and so they, they survived that they're traveling, trying to travel to this village where one of their their people has has some acquaintances, some contacts, uh, and they ended up uh, going in without really resting that much. They they took a little short rest, but they ended up going in at at night, uh, invisible, <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that that did not instill a lot of confidence in the contact, who ended up, especially with horrible persuasion rolls. And such, uh, which is very on brand for our ranger, I should I should say, um, ended up going and running to get the guards. So now the ranger and this NPC are stuck inside this town with their party five or ten minutes away. And the guards, uh, the guards have been gotten. They're taking them They're They don't know if they're. Uh, very flimsy explanations are holding or not. And so that's kind of where we left it off. And there's, there's a lot of tension because a lot of resources have been spent. Uh, health, health is not, not optimal. <laughs> They've just been through a storm. And oh, yeah. so a lot of the casters are, are a little drained. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where that, that leads to. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to hear what happens. I am too. To be completely honest, because there's there's a whole lot of ways there's a whole lot of ways that could have gone, but there's a whole lot of ways uh, it could go too. So I'm I'm very excited to see let's <laughs> see what what happens with it. That's very cool. Be good. But with that, I know my long my long winded stories. Uh, that's just a lot happened the last two weeks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it sounded that, like the same for quite you. A bit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but with that, uh, that will bring this episode to a close. Uh, thank you again so much for listening. Yes. Uh, thank you for sending in emails. We love getting emails. We love answering uh, those listener questions and such. So if you have those questions, please send them in. And before we go, Ben will tell you all the places that you can do that. Exactly. If you are looking to send those emails in, uh, understand that we might not get to them right away, but we will get to them. Uh, you can always send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Uh, now, if you have something that's really more short form that you'd like to reach out to us, send that to us on Twitter. That is at dndiscussions. Uh, if you're looking for Ryan specifically, you can find him. He is at tbkzord. If you're looking for me, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. Now, if you want to hear us playing some Dungeons and Dragons, guess what? You are in luck. We are in a persistent 
uh well persistent campaign with some hiatus and other campaigns and kind of sprinkled in there um you can check out plus five to hit uh, right now we're working on strixhaven we're gonna have our third session in a couple weeks here that'll be going out i'm really looking forward to that because being level one is rough but strixhaven is a lot of fun and i i can't wait to play more of that um, once that includes off, we're going to be jumping back into uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. So uh, make sure to keep those podcasts playing for that because Ryan and I are both in them and have a ton of fun. Uh, now, speaking of podcasts, DN Discussions, this one, guess what? There are 71 other episodes. And again, we really recommend listening to the last one if you haven't yet. Now, if you're confused on where to find them, hey, wherever you're listening to this episode, you can find all the others. So just check them out there. Uh, and then last but not least, guess what? If you listen to us on like iTunes, Google, anything else, and you like our show, give us a rating. It helps us out. It helps their listeners find more people that they can talk about the show with. So uh, check it out. I'm trying to think. I think it covered everything. This is the first time in a long time that I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about. So yeah, <laughs> there we go. Um, so yeah, uh, until next time, everybody. Again, thank you very much for listening. And as always, be good to each other. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.